Awesome. Well, fireworks, how are you? Good. Man, I've already messed this up. I've already, they handed me this, and there, there we go. I figured it out. Never mind. Well, guys, it's so good to be with you. I told my kids I was going to preach in San Antonio at Fireworks Church, and they were like, wait, what? Fireworks? What's this all about? And they were kind of upset that they didn't get to come with me. But, uh, man, it's an honor to be with you guys, and uh, I just got to throw back to this guy, uh, my cousin. Thank you. Many of you know him and love him and been with him for years, and thank you for loving my cousin and uh, so excited for him and his family. I know we're all upset and, and depressed that you're taking off to that other state, Tennessee, but we, uh, we're your home. We love you, and I know it's been great to see Bernie love on my cousin for all these years. I uh, love him very much and uh, so excited for what God's going to do and so proud of this guy. Um, and he's right, watching him from eighth grade and walk through what he was walking through to see where he is today and the man of God that he is, the dad, the husband that he is today. Um, I'm, I'm so proud of him and what God's doing in his life. And uh, hey, this, is, this feels like coming home a little bit when I come to Bernie because there's so many Beaumont folks that live in Bernie. Uh, raise your hand here if you lived in Beaumont, Texas at one time. Yeah, it, it just, it's, it's crazy. Uh, you know, you're, boo. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, something happened, man, and, and, and you, you Beaumont people made the, the pilgrimage to the Holy Land of Bernie uh, years ago, and so it's always cool when my cousin moved here, and uh, I would come visit. It was just cool because I could see other people that I know. I look back here on this back row. I don't want to embarrass you guys, but Mike and Tina, Andre, just special people. I love you. Um, 20, 25 years ago, you know, Chase is talking about how I was with him. There was people like Mike and Tina Andre who were dating at the time and like engaged, but were pouring into my life as a young, dumb, 18-year-old kid trying to figure things out, and Mike would take me to play golf, and, and just, just was a great friend to me, and, and discipled me, and, and I love you, I love both of y'all, and, and Tina was my first boss that I ever had at Gap, and uh, taught me how to fold clothes, how to batch my task, right, Tina, you remember that? Batch my task? Yeah, yeah, I still say that to my kids. They're like, what are you talking about? But, uh, hey, it's good to be here with you guys and to be in Bernie at Fireworks. Um, First, I just want to share with you guys, I've been in ministry for 20-plus years in church ministry, served in a lot of different ways and worn a lot of different hats in ministry and and loved it. We've been in some great places. We've been in some tough places. And uh, I'm married to my wife, Ellie, of 20 years. Uh, We've been married 20 years this year, this past, well, last year, last August. It'll be 21. Thank you. 21 years this year. We have three beautiful kids, Natalie, who's 17, getting ready to go off to college, so you guys pray for me, uh, walking through that whole season for the first time, and uh, our son Landon, who's 14, and then Audrey, our little little firecracker, red hair firecracker, she's 10 years old, and uh, I'm very blessed, and but we've been in ministry for over 20 years, been youth pastors. We've uh, gone on the field, uh, raised money, and itinerated as missionaries, and were missionaries in Paris, France for two years, where we helped start an international English-speaking church with a group of people. Shortly after that, God led us back home to Beaumont, where I became a, a, a lead pastor of a church for two years, and I had a pretty crazy youth pastor named Chase Courtney. Um, and so that was pretty cool that we got to serve together. That poor guy had to put up with me for a couple years, but um, had a great experience there. And then after that, we, we spent a little bit of time outside of ministry for about 18 months because God wanted us to. And then we ended up going to California, Bakersfield, California, for about eight months, walked into a pretty wild and crazy situation there. And then from that 
from Bakersfield, he led us to Lufkin, Texas. And that's where we've been for eight years, and we've been at Timber Creek Church. It's been amazing. We love it. It's such a life-giving church, a great staff and pastor that has become one of my biggest cheerleaders and one of my biggest friends. Through those years, one consistent thing that's continued is God has continued to grow my heart for pastors. Um, just because of my own experiences, um, and then just seeing pastors, the weight and the responsibility that's on their shoulders. That every seven days, it doesn't matter, another sermon's coming that they got to prepare for. And they got to be a dynamic communicator every seven days. That they have to learn how to manage budgets and sometimes manage building projects. And then the next day they have to be a professional counselor and they have to deal with marriage counseling or individual personal counseling, counseling with individuals. You know, and then they have to be incredible leaders and managers of staffs and they got to know how to hire someone the right way and maybe, maybe let go of someone the right way. And they have to wear all these different hats and it's a lot of weight, it's a lot of pressure and, and a lot of pastors, uh, they struggle. Because guess what? I know they're pastors, and they have the mantle of leadership on their life, and they do. And it's a great responsibility, but they're human just like you and me. And, and, and they, they struggle, and they go through difficult times. And a lot of times when they're in a tough situation, whether it's self-inflicted or not, they don't have anyone to talk to because they, 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 they're in this mantle of leadership, and, and a lot of them struggle. A lot of them struggle with burnout and struggle with all kinds of different issues, and God has continued to give me and my wife a heart for pastors, and so much that in the last couple years, I couldn't ignore it anymore, and uh, happy on staff at a great church there in Lufkin, but we just continued to pray and ask God, what do we do with this thing that is in our heart that we just can't ignore? And luckily, I have a great supportive pastor, lead pastor, and was able to be honest with him about that and, and share that with him and share my heart. And um, uh, about two years ago, we came across a, a ministry called Standing Stone Ministry. Uh, they're based out of California. And in the year 2002, a guy by the name of Jim and, and his wife, Debbie Hogan, they were pastors in California. They had a home in Colorado, beautiful home on this beautiful river. And God began to tell them, we want you to start bringing struggling pastors to this home in Colorado, and we want you to just love on them. We want you to just care for them. And it started with just one couple that they knew, and then it continued, and there were more and more and more couples. And then eventually, what started off as just something personal to them began to blow up, and they began to meet other people that had the same heart that they did. And now, all these years later, Standing Stone now has 200-plus individuals like myself who have a heart for pastors and their spouses and their marriages and their families and their churches. And um, they provide field shepherds and retreat shepherds. And what they do is they just provide a free, confidential, trusted relationship to pastors to sit across the table from them over a cup of coffee, over a meal, or you know, in person or on a Zoom call, and just listen to them and be a listening ear and care for them and counsel them and coach them through the challenges that they're walking through. And as you know, as we went through COVID, it was hard on everybody. It was really hard on everybody, but it was really hard on the local church pastor, and a lot of them are, uh, are leaving the ministry. 42% of ministers across denominations, they're not only resigning from their church positions, they're walking away from the calling that God has in their life, and they're doing something else. And we can't have that, because if we truly believe that the healthy local church, a healthy local church like Fireworks, is the hope of this community and the hope of the world, then, then I feel called to ensure and make sure that these pastors 
are healthy and, whole, healthy and whole for the long haul and for the calling that God has on their life. And so that's what we feel called to. And so last August, I sat down with my pastor and I said, look, uh, my, my delayed obedience at this point has become disobedience. I've got to go do this. And with his blessing, I uh, began to uh, jump in with Standing Stone and join their team. And so right now what I'm doing is I'm, I'm raising funds like I did 12 years ago to go to France. I'm doing this all over again. I'm just older and, 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 and all that now. And I've got a mortgage and I've got a 17-year-old getting ready to go to college. So it, it felt more like a risk to jump and do this. But I'm so thankful that we did. And God is doing incredible things. And, and we just feel called to pastors and ministry leaders and, and try to be preventative uh, from them reaching that point of burnout or reaching that point to say, I'm done. I'm walking away. I can't do this anymore. I currently try not to work with too many pastors yet because I'm raising funds full time. But I can tell you three pastors. I won't tell you their names, but three pastors that I work with. And, and one of them, He's been in ministry just as many years as I have, 20 plus years. He started a church about five years ago, and it's going really, really, really well. But he stands up every Sunday, and he's questioning what he believes because he's so exhausted. He's starting to question God's word, and do I really even believe that God exists and that this word is true? And, and I'm trying to walk with him and counsel him through as he struggles with that, as he leads his church. Another guy's a worship pastor. And his wife is struggling with mental health so bad that she's been in a, uh, a behavioral hospital twice in the last few months. And he's trying to figure out, how do I move on? How do I continue to minister and be, on, be in this church when my wife doesn't even want to step foot inside the church that I serve at? And is my marriage going to even make it between today and tomorrow? You know, and then I've got another guy who's got a church that he started a few years ago, but he's also on the side got a, a construction business that he started 20 years ago that's successful, but he knows God's saying, are you going to follow me? Are you going to be all in on this pastoring thing? And he sends me a, te a text just the other day. Let me read you this text. His text says to me, um, man, how do you just walk away from a career you've built for 20 years to stand in faith with nothing? Say, okay, here I am full-time pastor with no real plan on how I'm going to pay my bills. And God's called him, but I'm trying to walk with him and encourage him that, hey, man, God's got you. He's your source. And so that just gives you a taste of three guys. But a lot of pastors are struggling, and we feel called to walk with them and support them. And so first and foremost, I would love for you guys, as you leave today, there's a table right over there as you leave. I've got a card that looks like this. This is me and my wife, Ellie. It's got some information on the front and the back that tells you a little bit about what we're doing with Standing Stone. Um, and pray for us. Pray for the pastors that we work with. And uh, pray for the pastors in your community. But pray with us, too, as we serve pastors. There's also a little card here that I actually give to pastors. So you can kind of see what we give them. And our heart is to see pastors be healthy and whole spiritually, physically, mentally, emotionally, relationally. So many of them, 90% of them or 70 to 90% of them would describe themselves as, it's right there, 70% of them would consider that they have no friend and experience loneliness in ministry because they're in that position and they don't feel like they can be real. And so Standing Stone provides an opportunity to me, free of charge, to sit across the table from them and say, hey, I'm going to be your friend for this season. I'm going to listen to you. I'm going to walk with you. And it's so needed. And so there's information there. We would love for you guys to pray with us. Um, if God would lead you to support us, there's a QR code there on that larger card. If God leads you that direction, awesome. But most importantly, please pray with us. Pray for us and for the pastors that we work with. Amen.
All right. Well, I'm also going to share with you guys just uh, from the Word of God, if that's okay. Does that sound good? All right. All right. Well, um, with that same thought of kind of what I've been sharing with you, um, you know, the last two years have been a wild ride for me. Um, and, and like I said, uh, following Jesus is an adventure. Amen. If you're truly chasing after him, uh, it's a wild ride. And I hate when people say that following Jesus and, and being a Christian is boring. Unfortunately, we're the ones who make it boring. <laughs> it's us people, right? But when you're truly fully submitted to Jesus, to God, and saying, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be all in with this, it's a wild ride. God leads you to do things. Because why? Because you have a plan and a purpose for your life. Okay? And I want to talk to you guys about that a little bit this morning. First and foremost, the greatest decision that you could make or that anyone else could make is to say yes to Jesus. Amen? We agree on that? That that is the greatest decision that we could ever make is to submit our lives to Jesus and say, I'm ready to get off the throne of my life and allow you to sit on the throne of my life and rule and reign and lead my life. That's the greatest decision that we'll ever make. But after that, the greatest pursuit of our life is Jesus. It is to chase him. It is to go after him and follow him wherever he leads us. It's to chase him in his character, conduct, and convictions. And as we chase him, we discover that we have this God-given potential. And I want to tell every single one of you here, it doesn't matter your age. It doesn't matter what you've done or not done. Every single one of you in this room have God-given potential and God wants you to live that out. He wants you to chase that. Just like for me in this new season, it's to, it's to care for pastors. And it's been a bit of a scary journey to take a step of faith and go do this. But God has something for you as well. Every single one of you in this room. None of you in this room are disqualified, right? And maybe it's a dream you've known about for years. But it's just kind of been sitting up on the, on the counter, up on the shelf, getting, collecting dust through the years, but it's still there. And God's saying, I still believe in you. might look a little bit different now, but I still have a plan and a purpose for your life. And so our goal in life is not just to exist. I think that's one of the saddest realities as believers. So many Christians, they, they make that important decision to say yes to Jesus. But then they just live their life existing. They live their life just kind of saying, hey, I'm just hanging out, waiting until heaven. Heaven's going to be amazing. Heaven's going to be awesome. But God called us to so much more while we're still here. And that's to see other people come to know Jesus. For him to use your story. For him to use your testimony, your time, your treasure. All those things, he wants to use it and work in and through your life. And, you know, there's so many great examples in the scriptures of, of people that lived out their, their calling, lived out their God-given potential that God had for their life. And, but one of my favorite is Abraham, okay? And so we're going to read from Abraham chapter 12, and um, we're going to be introduced to this guy, Abraham. It's actually Abram. This is before he becomes Abraham, you know, the father of Israel. And, 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 and I love Abram, Abraham because uh, he was human, just like us. We get to see the ups and the downs of his life. And, and I read some of these stories, and I think, okay, good. I'm not the only one that screws up from time to time. And God can still use me just like he used Abraham. And so let's pick up the story here in, in Genesis chapter 12, verse 1. It says, The Lord said to Abram, Leave your country, your people, and your father's household, and go to the land that I will show you. Let me stop there for a second. Do you catch what's happening here? He's not telling him where he's going. He's not telling him how long it's going to take and what it's going to cost him. He's just saying, hey, I want you to leave everything. 
I want you to leave everything that's familiar to you, everything that you're comfortable with, and I want you to follow me. But where am I going, God? I'm not telling you yet. How long is it going to take me to get there? You'll find out. How am I going to afford to get there? I'm your source, not somebody else, right? It's, it's, this is a big deal that's happening right here in verse 1. Verse 2, um, it says, I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So Abram left as the Lord had told him. Did you catch that? He left. He did it. Crazy, huh? I mean, when you stop and think about it, he just went up and he left. He didn't know where he was going. He didn't know the whole story, but he just loved the Lord enough and believed and trusted the Lord enough to say, okay, I'm going to go. But he got up and he left as the Lord had told him. And Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran, right? And so this morning, I want to challenge you with the pursuit of your God-given potential. All of us, again, have a God-given potential, and God wants you to pursue that. Your life should be about this pursuit. Now that you've said yes to Jesus or you've rededicated your life to Jesus, your life should be about that pursuit, right? Sure, you make money. You have a a J-O-B, and you've got family, and you've got all these things, and there's nothing wrong with any of those things. But at the end of the day, It should be about that pursuit of what God has for you, that what he wants to do in and through you and in and through your story. But here's a warning. John 10.10 from the New Testament, Jesus is speaking, and he says this, The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy, right? Now, if we stop there, that would be a pretty depressing scripture, right? But it doesn't stop there. It goes on to say that I have come, but I have come, Jesus, that they might have life and have it to the full. And I don't know about you, but that's what I want. I don't want to just sit around and wait for heaven. Heaven's going to be amazing. But God has a life, a full life for you and for me if we will pursue him and chase him and chase that God-given potential that he has for us. But there's an enemy, and he wants to still kill and destroy not only your life, not only your marriage, not only your family, He wants to steal your potential. He wants to steal the dream that God has for you. He wants to steal that calling that God has for you. If he can get you just to sit around and wait for heaven, then he's got you. He likes likes comfortable Christians, right? He likes those Christians that's just sitting around waiting. They love Jesus, but he's like, that's cool, but they're not doing anything. They're inactive. They're just kind of sitting around and waiting for heaven. That's what I want. And that's not what God wants. God wants us to pursue him and chase him on that adventure of serving him and following him and living out our story so that more people will know who Jesus is. And so he wants to still, I'm trying to keep up on the slides here. I apologize if I'm getting ahead of my slides. Um, But let's talk about this for a minute. And before we talk about what it looks like to chase that pursue uh, and pursue that, that potential that God has for us, let me talk about a few enemies of the pursuit of your life, of the calling on your life. There's some enemies to the God-given potential in your life. As you have this calling and this purpose for your life, the enemy does not want you to follow that. He does not want you to pursue that. And there's these enemies, these tools of the enemy that are trying to keep you from that pursuit, okay? And the first one is this. It's, it's comfort. The enemy of comfort, right? Let's just be honest. We are addicted to comfort, 
And while I love some moments of comfort, I mean, come on. I mean, I've got three kids. We're busy all the time. I'm okay with a few moments every once in a while of some weekends when nothing's going on, and and we're just relaxed, and we don't have a lot going, right? Comfort's okay, but we can't get addicted to it. Never let it become a comfort zone, right? Because once we're in a comfort zone, guess what it does? It holds you captive. It, It holds you captive, And here's the reality. People would rather be miserable than be uncomfortable. (laughs) And how many of you know if you're truly, truly following Jesus, he's going to put you in some moments and some seasons that are uncomfortable. But we'd rather just stay comfortable and stay miserable than be uncomfortable. Why? Because uh, the reality is if if we stay miserable, I can see that. I know what that looks like. That's consistent. I know what that's going to turn out to be. I know what that looks like. I know what to expect when it's that way. But change, change is uncomfortable. That means I have to learn something new. I have to do something new. I might have to go somewhere new, and that's uncomfortable. And I'm not sure I want to do that. But we have to ask ourselves the question, what are we losing by clinging to our comfort? That's the real question. And we're losing a lot if we cling too hard to our comfort and sit in that comfort zone. What are we missing out on because we're so committed to avoiding the pain and the discomfort of whatever season that is. There's moments in life where we have to leave the nest of comfort and pursue our God-given potential and discover the plan, the calling that God has designed for us. Yes, there's going to be challenges along the way. There's going to be change along the way. Yes, there's even going to be failure. Any of us failed before and fallen flat on our face before, right? Whether that was self-inflicted or just completely out of our control. There's going to be failure, but failure is not final, amen? And so we, we smack the rock of doubt sometimes. We, on the way down, and we take that leap of faith, and we begin to chase. We're going we're gonna to smack the rocks of doubt sometimes. Opposition and challenges a, a few times on our way down as we take that leap, But when we learn along the way, and what we learn along the way is that God begins to develop these incredible things in us and teaches us so many things along the way that are priceless. So there's the enemy of comfort. The second enemy is safety. Instead of playing to win, we like to play not to lose. Um, I don't watch much figure skating. Um, My wife makes me watch figure skating. But in 1998, at the Winter Olympics in figure skating, Tara Lipinski was 14 years old, and she won the gold medal. Anybody ever remember that? Uh, Old enough to remember that? Um, And so um, it was a cool thing. It was amazing that this young 14-year-old girl won the gold, but she was not supposed to win it. Michelle Kwan, who was like the national champion, world champion, had all this experience. She was supposed to win, but this young 14-year-old girl actually won the gold medal. And the commentators made a statement during, during that time when they were getting the medals, and they said the reason that Tara Lipinski won the gold medal was because she came to win, and Michelle Kwan came not to lose, right? She didn't want it as much as that 14-year-old girl. She, yeah, Michelle Kwan was playing it safe while Tara Lipinski was going after it with all that she had. She wasn't there to play play it safe. I love what uh, pastor and author Mark Batterson says. He says, quit living as if the purpose is to arrive safely at death. But that's how we live our lives, right? The purpose of our lives is not to play it safe. It's not to sit around and just wait. Now, we have to use wisdom. Please use wisdom. Allow God to give you wisdom and put people in your life. Proverbs 15, 22 says, plans fail for a lack of counsel, but with many advisors, they succeed. 
Just make sure that those advisors around you, that one of them is the Holy Spirit. And that they're the right people and the right voices in your life that are not trying to hold you back, but that they are your biggest cheerleader rooting you on in the pursuit of your God-given potential. But what if I fell? I fell before and, and I got hurt. This individual or that group of people hurt me pretty bad or that situation, that season hurt me and I just don't want to go through that again. So I just want to play it safe. If your goal is not to, uh, is I don't want to fail, then I'm sorry, guys, you got a pretty bad goal. If, you, if your goal is just to play it safe, that's not a good goal. You will fail, but you can learn from it. You will fail forward and continue following your God-given potential. And I apologize, I'm doing a bad job of following with, with the notes here, sorry. Uh, the next one is fear, right? The enemy of fear. There's that four-letter word, bad word, right? Uh, fear. And uh, while fear is a normal human emotion that all of us have um, and actually alerts us to the presence of danger and keeps us from harm at times, fear can also cripple us. And sure, there's, there's moments when fear is useful, but most of the time fear is a liar. Fear is a, a horrible counselor to us. And the enemy uses fear all the time. It keeps us from pursuing our God-given potential and the calling that God has on our life. Successful people are good at overcoming fear in order to do what they need to do and what they're called to do. Of course, that doesn't mean that we aren't scared, right? But we're brave. And there's a difference between being scared and fearful and being paralyzed by that, but yet being scared and saying, I'm still going to be brave because I trust God. And I know he's faithful, and I'm going to continue to move forward. Fear can be that annoying voice in our head that constantly is playing the soundtrack over and over again of why we can't or why we shouldn't pursue God or why we shouldn't pursue our God-given potential. And fear whispers in your ear, and it, and it, it says, it, it, what if it, this happens and what if that happens? And fear speaks to us all day long. Who are you going to listen to? Are you going to listen to fear or the voice of the Lord. So maybe what I feared the most revered or revealed, I'm sorry, where I trusted God the least. Okay? So fear is an enemy. The next one is the enemy of excuses. Um, you know, in this passage that we just read, Abram could have made so many excuses. I mean, this guy was 75 years old, right? I mean, he's like, God, are you sure about me? I'm not 25 anymore. I'm not a spring chicken. I can't, you know, I can't do all these things that you're telling me to do. I'm kind of older in life, and are you sure about this? Are you sure you want me to do this? He could have made so many different excuses. It sounds a lot like us, doesn't it? Excuses can keep us from what God has for us. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm not talented enough. I'm, I'm not like Chase Courtney. I'm not good looking like Chase Courtney and, and can do this like Chase. And, and uh, I used to beat him in sports, but I can't eat anymore, right? Um, and so I'm not like him. I'm not like her. And there's that comparison thing that happens to us so many times. Uh, this, this isn't really a good time for me, Lord. This is just, can you wait till next, next year, next month? You know, I'm too old. I'm too young. Or, Lord, I, I just don't have the resources to do that. Right? He knows you don't have the resources. We never have the resources, right? But God owns it all. There are way too many examples in Scripture of men and women that could have had used excuses to not step out and trust the Lord and pursue their God-given potential, but they didn't. And God used them incredibly. And the amazing thing is, is that it brought more glory to him anyway. 
It's about him at the end of the day. It's not about bringing glory to you or me. It's about bringing glory back to God as he uses us through our inadequacies. And then finally, there's the enemy of indecision, right? Uh, here's the reality. Indecision is a decision. <laughs> it just is, right? And, and, and you know what indecision does? It paralyzes you. Um, we can be guilty of overthinking what God is showing us. And in our own uh, flesh, try to figure out A, B, C, D, and how the finances are going to work, and this and that. We want it all figured out, and, and we just can't, right? And, and we get stuck in indecision. And indecision becomes like blinders over our eyes instead of us pursuing our God-given potential. And then we get stuck in the mud of indecision, and we get paralyzed. And the scary thing is, is that the longer we sit in indecision, the harder it is to get out and begin to move. God never intended you to stay where you started, guys. I don't, I don't know your story. I don't know what it is that God has for you, but he never intended you to stay where you started. He wants to see you move and begin to do incredible things. I hate, again, just when people say that, that following Jesus is boring. Man, when you're truly surrendered and submitted to him and you chase him, it's a wild ride, for sure. So back to John 10.10. What did it say? It said, the thief comes not only to steal, kill, and destroy. And we just looked at some of these enemies of the pursuit of our relationship with the Lord and our God-given potential. But it goes on to say, I've come that they might have life and have it to the full. And he wants you to have a full life, not a perfect life, guys. Please don't hear me say, if you, if you do this, that you're going to have all the money in the bank and that you're, all your worries are going to be gone. No, uh, trust me, there's going to be challenges. But God will provide and he'll take care of you and you'll live a life of fullness. Jeremiah 29, 11, for I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to help you stay safe and secure and comfortable in your little room till you get to heaven. Is that what it says? No, it doesn't say that. Um, it says plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. Just chase me. Just trust me. Just give your full heart to me and watch what happens. So just as there are enemies to our pursuit of God and our God-given potential, there's essential keys to that pursuit. We see that the enemy wants to rob it. He wants to steal this from us. But there's some incredible keys that if we will uh, apply these keys to our life, and begin to chase the Lord and pursue our God-given potential, uh, we're going to discover incredible things, and we're going to make a kingdom impact. God's going to make a kingdom impact through you and your story. So as we finish up today, here's a few keys um, to pursuing your God-given potential. The first one is risk, right? you got to take a risk. Um, in fact, the key to taking risk is faith, right? The Lord had said to Abram, leave Leave your, your, your native country, right? Leave your country, your people, and your father's household and go to the land that I will show you. It took a risk. It took faith to pursue the Lord. So the Lord's asking Abram to leave everything that's familiar to him, right? And I believe the greatest risk that you and I can take is to take no risk at all in this life. And when we take risk, we demonstrate our faith in God. Faith is, is the key to taking risks. Faith is such a vital part of your relationship with God and my relationship with God. Faith is risky business. Faith is embracing uncertainty. And we're not, we're not great with that sometimes. I don't know about you, but that's hard for me sometimes. 
But I love this definition of faith in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. Faith is the confidence in what we hope for and the assurance about what we what? We don't see. It's embracing that certainty, but it's okay to take that step of faith and embrace that because we know God is faithful. And this is uncomfortable for us because we don't know how it's going to turn out. And most of us want that absolute certainty before we step out in faith. We want that money-back guarantee that it's going to work out, right, that everything's going to be okay. But the problem with that is is it takes faith out of the picture. And faith is such an important ingredient. Taking risks can feel like a leap of faith. And as we said earlier, the enemy of fear, it comes in, it creeps in, it begins to whisper in your ear, and it tells you all the reasons why you can't do this and why you can't do that and why God could never use you. But faith is the antidote to fear. It's faith and trust in God. So what is that risk for you? Right? What is that risk for you? See, we overestimate the size of the risk in front of us and we underestimate the perfect love of God that drives out all fear. Got to remember that. And each of us here today as followers of Jesus have God-given potential for our lives to pursue. And God is calling some of us to take risk. He loves us. He's calling us. He's equipping us. And the question is, what is that risk that you're struggling to take? Is it starting that degree? Is it finishing that degree? Is it starting that business? Is it, is it following God in ministry, full-time ministry or missions or whatever it may be? Is it simply going across the office and talking to that person that you know God's asked you to love on that person and speak into their life? It could be a number of different things. We can come up with all kinds of reasons why we can't take the risk and how we're not good enough. But here's the deal. If God can turn fishermen into disciples, some teenage boys that were a mess, that all they knew how to do was fish and turn them into disciples who later turned around and changed the world and turned the world upside down with Jesus. If he can turn a shepherd boy into a king like David, and if he can use a Southeast Texas redneck kid from Beaumont, I promise he can use you. He can do incredible things in you and through you as you pursue your God-given potential. But it will only happen if we take the risk when he instructs us to get up and to go. Second key is this, obedience. Obedience is the second key. And many times obedience, I love this because obedience, when we're obedient, it's like a key that unlocks blessing in our life. You can't describe it. It's all God. He just does incredible, incredible things. But when we're truly obedient to him in any area of our life, it, it really is that key that just unlocks incredible blessing. Verse uh, 2 and 3 I'll read it again. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Through his, through his obedience, Abram, Abraham, many nations were blessed, right? He was blessed. It was that key. Obedience is, is so key in the pursuit of your God-given potential. And how many of us get excited when we hear the word obedience? right? I mean, yay, obedience, right? Especially our kids. They definitely don't like that word, right? But there's this idea that obedience, it's difficult. It requires deep commitment. But here's some facts about obedience. Number one, obedience is the key condition of your relationship with God. It truly is. In fact, his lordship demands obedience. His lordship demands it. It's through obedience that you fulfill his commands, 
right? We must submit to him as Lord. Well, what does that mean, Stephen? Well, it means that uh, in true obedience, we have to submit everything, absolutely everything to him and in him. Everything? Yes, everything. It's saying, hey, you own it all, God. You own my whole heart. For years, decades, I struggled with that. I gave him most of it. I gave him most of my heart, but there were pockets of my heart I just wouldn't give to him because I was ashamed of it or, or I liked it too much. And I was like, God, you, I've given you 90%. I mean, come on now. Like, I just want this part, right? And, and for years I struggled with that. But there's just something incredible when you fully submit to his lordship and he owns it all. It's incredible. What does this mean? It means that he is Lord over every aspect of your life. In Luke 6, 46, Jesus asked the question, why do you call me Lord, Lord, but you do, not, you, know, you do not do what I say? And see, the truth is, is that everybody wants a Savior. Amen? Everybody wants a Savior, but not everybody wants a Lord. Because to call him Lord means that you are fully, 100%, palms up every day saying, you bless me with a family, you bless me with a business, with money in the bank, but you can have it all. I'm fully submitted to you. And if you want to shift gears, God, I'm willing to chase you still. I'm willing to follow you. I want to do this over here, but if you want me to do this, I'm going to follow you. That's called lordship. That's following his lordship. And if he is truly lord and we're fully obedient, then he is first in every aspect of our lives. He must be before ambitions, before friendships, relationships, before family, before life itself. His lordship over you must take precedence before your wants, desires, and needs. All right. Another fact about obedience is that obedience and trust work hand in hand. I love the old hymn of the church, Trust and Obey. It says, but we can never prove the delights of his love until all on the altar we lay for the favor he shows and the joy he bestows are for them who will trust and obey. Our obedience is proven by our outward conduct and how we must trust him with everything. You prove your trust in God when you obey him and obey his word. Another thing about obedience, again, it brings blessing. I love how the scriptures show us in verses 2 and 3 of Genesis 12 with Abram. God presents him with this opportunity to pursue him. And when he takes that step, and if and when he takes that step, God's going to bless him and do so many incredible things through his life. And then finally, number three, the third key to the pursuit of your God-given potential, and we're going to kind of close it here, is courage. you got to have courage. And the key to courage, right, is taking that first step. It's taking that first step. Uh, one of our favorite movies as a family is the movie We Bought a Zoo. Anybody ever seen that movie? It's a true story, based on a true story of this, this, this guy played by Matt Damon. And, uh, you know, he's a British writer. He's a father of two kids. And he's, he's also a widower. He just lost his wife. And he does this crazy thing. He buys this old zoo that's a, a wreck. And he buys it and tries to, tries to get it going. And there's this scene where him and his son are sitting together, like in one of the areas of the zoo, and they're just having a conversation. And he looks at his son, and he gives this unfor- unforgettable line. He says, sometimes all you need is just 20 seconds of insane courage. Right? And I love that. I love that line. And, and honestly, that's been true in my life, too. Uh, probably true in your life. There's been moments that I knew the Lord was leading me. Uh, and, and making things clear, and, and, and I lacked the courage to take that first step. I just needed 20 seconds of insane courage to take that step 
and trust the Lord. And I'm convinced this morning that the only thing between you and the plan that God has for your life, your God-given potential, is one small step of courage for many of you. One courageous step that may be the only thing between you and your dream, your calling, whatever it may be, becoming a real reality. That's all it took for Peter, crazy old Peter, right, to step out of the boat. He needed 20 seconds of insane courage to step out of the boat and walk on the water towards Jesus, right? That's all it took young David to be on that field with Goliath with nothing but a slingshot and run. I love that the scripture says he ran to that giant, right? He just had 20 seconds of insane courage to run to him, you know? And that's all it took for me at age 13, at a chapel up in Billings, Montana, to say yes to Jesus. 20 seconds to say, okay, this makes sense. I need Jesus in my life, right? It just took 20 seconds to say yes to Jesus, and it turned my life completely, completely around. That's about how long it took for me, 20 seconds to pick up the phone and call my wife and ask her out on a date. (laughs) I need 20 seconds of insane courage, right? You just fill in the blank. For all of us, we just need that 20 seconds. And again, we discussed all these enemies that just keep us from the pursuit of our God-given potential. Jack, if you want to go ahead and come on up, man. The idea of chasing your calling, chasing the dreams that God has for you, can be very, very scary for a lot of us. But you know what scares me the most through the years is missing out on what God has for me and my family. That scares me more than the step that I have to take at that certain time. And if you don't hear anything else I've said this morning, please hear that. Let our fear of missing out on God's plan for our life be greater than the fear of stepping out in faith. Please. Making the decision to pursue your God-given potential starts with just one small step of faith. It's often the longest, hardest, (laughs) scariest step that you'll take in the process. Take courage. God loves you. He's called you. He's not done with you. Some of you in this room, you may think that lie, but he's not. He's not done with you at all. He just wants you to take that step. When you take that move and you take that step that's motivated by God's glory, it moves the heart of God, and it moves the hand of God. And it's not about you. It's not about me. It's about him and what he's going to do through you and through your story and how it's going to impact the kingdom of God because of your step. Amen? I'd love to pray with you guys this morning. Why don't we bow our heads? And uh, I believe some prayer partners are going to be coming forward. If you guys want to go ahead and come forward. And I'm going to pray just two prayers. The first prayer is this. With every eye closed and head bowed this morning, maybe that first step for you is saying yes to Jesus. Maybe you're in this room and you have never, you've never made that decision to say yes to Jesus. Or maybe you made it years ago and you're like, you're human and it's our natural tendency to drift in life and you drifted away from that relationship with Jesus and you want to recommit that relationship with Jesus. That's the first step towards your God-given potential today. And I'd be remiss to not stop and pray for that this morning. And with every eye closed and head bowed this morning, if that's you this morning, you're like, you know what, i got to make that decision first. Would you raise your hand? Or maybe maybe I need to do that recommitment in my life. Would you be brave enough to raise your hand this morning? And I just want to pray for you. Thank you. Thank you, guys. God, we love you. And I thank you for Fireworks Church and what you're doing through this 
amazing body of believers. It's different, it's unique, but it's you. And I thank you for the calling that's on all their lives and how they're blessing this community. God, I thank you for every person that's here this morning and every person that is here is not here by chance, God. They're here on purpose for a purpose. And God, you love them. And God, we've had a few that have raised their hand to say, I need to get right with you. And so, Lord, I pray right now as they're sitting in their seat, God, as we pray, God, that they would just say, Jesus, I love you. Jesus, I've tried to do this in my own strength, and it hasn't worked out so well. I've tried to be on the throne of my life and make my own decisions, and it just never quite works out the way I thought it would. There's still a void in my heart and in my life, and I believe it's you. And God, would you forgive me of my sins? And would you get back in your rightful place and be on the throne of my life? And not only be my Savior, but be my Lord. And God, would you begin to lead and direct my life, whether it's for the first time or a fresh time this morning. So God, rescue them. God, we thank you for your salvation. We thank you for those that have raised their hands. Thank you, Jesus. Let's give those a hand this morning that made that decision. Let's give them a hand. If we can celebrate anything this morning, it's that decision. And I want to do one more prayer. It's for the rest of us, all of us. And these prayer partners are here, and I would invite you after I pray. I'll hand it over to Dave. But if you want to pray a little bit further about your God-given potential, these guys want to pray with you. But let me pray for you this morning, okay? God, every person here has incredible God-given potential. God, it's emotional for me to sit here and look in the back row over to my left and see a man by the name of Mike Andre who believed in Stephen Courtney's God-given potential at 17, 18 as a youth leader. Sometimes I didn't see it. And my life was a mess. But I had people like that that looked at me, and he may not have verbalized it exactly like that, but he was doing just that. He was saying, hey, you've got incredible God-given potential, and God's going to use you. And it's the same for every person in this room. They've got God-given potential. And I pray, God, that you would just help them remember that this morning and embrace that this morning. Some of them are scared. But, God, you're faithful. You're true. You're our source. Not man, not a bank, uh, bank account, not a paycheck, not the government, not, a, not, a, not, a, not any of that. You are our source, and you're going to provide, no matter how scared we are, God, to step out and to trust you and follow your God-given potential. Some of them that are here this morning, God, may feel like because of choices in the past or maybe because they messed up recently or in the past, they may think, but there's no way God could still use me because I messed up too much, and that's just nothing but a lie from the enemy. You're not done with us until as long as we all have breath in our lungs you have God-given potential for us, and there's some in this room, God, that need to hear that today, that you are not disappointed in them, you love them, and you're calling them to step out in faith and to trust you with their life and chase that potential and stop listening to the lie of the enemy. And so, God, I pray that they would cling to that this morning and that truth, that you love them and that you're still calling them. And God, those that are that are chasing your God-given potential, but maybe they're tired this morning. They're exhausted. God, just even some of the things that were shared during the worship time, that we would just, we would rest in you and know that you are, you are in control, that you would revive us. That true, we don't have to go to Kentucky to chase something. It's right here in us, 
And God, that you would continue to revive us. And through that reviving of us, Lord God, in our life, that we would just fall back in love with not only you, God, but also the dreams and the goals, the hopes, the plan that you have for our lives. And chase that God-given potential. God, we love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.